episode two, back again. Back to talking to myself. Yeah, here we go. <laughs> With your hosts, Malcolm and Malcolm. Malcolm and Malcolm, back at it again. So, taking into account, this is episode two. Uh, we're thinking a little bit about some more of our background because I think what's really important to sort of get us um, rolling into some of these topics coming up is to again just ground us in sort of like where we came from and what our purpose is and how our experience our, how our experiences sort of dictate where we imagine our educational journey is going and where we hope to influence um, the educational field and the educational world in going as well. Yeah, definitely. Um, and I think going into that part of the conversation in the way this podcast will go too, it will start to expand from each episode. You know, mm-hmm. we'll start learning more about how our experiences affect yeah, our day-to-day career as we are in the classroom, um, our pedagogies and inspirations and everything like that. So, where did we come from? Our first time in the classroom as a teacher. Yeah, first memory as a teacher in the classroom. Um, I know we talked a little bit about our backgrounds uh, before. Um, and so I, if you want to go first and just remind the people where you're from um, and then tell them, yeah, about your first time as an experience. Yeah, born and raised in Austin, Texas. My educational background is a little all over the place. I uh, went to public school going from kindergarten all the way to sixth grade. I joined a magnet program uh, for my middle school education. And then I joined a program called Breakthrough Austin. Now Breakthrough Austin, if you haven't heard of it before, is a program for first generation college students anyone who has or is looking to provide resources for students um, starting at, at that young of an age, I highly recommend looking at Breakthrough. They're a fantastic organization, but they provide a multitude of resources starting all the way when, when you're a, a soon to be or going to be seventh grader all the way until you graduate from college. Um, yeah, they were incredibly influential in my own life and my own upbringing and uh, a great resource but that was sort of uh, I bring them up because that's also you can be a teaching fellow for them mm-hmm. and I taught African-American civil rights for a couple of summers during college uh, for for them at my old middle school so after sixth grade uh, I met my godfather and he actually invited me um, and got me to apply to a private school in Austin and that's how I got into um, the private school world a little bit, and it's given me a little bit of uh, personal experience there. But as far as my first teaching experiences with Breakthrough Austin, uh, teaching African American civil rights, and I was that's telling a cool way to start teaching. Too. Yeah, it was cool. <laughs> it was great. Um, I feel like I wasn't, and you might be able to speak to this as well based on your own experience. I'm not sure, but I know that for me, I feel like at that point in my life. I was not sure that I was going to become a teacher. In fact, I feel like I was pretty adamantly against the idea of being yeah, a teacher, I feel uh, ironically enough. So when Malcolm and I were discussing the idea of possibly talking about our first teaching experience, I was a little taken aback because I felt like I couldn't remember 
my first teaching experience and um, I still feel as if I'm not sure that I can remember my first teaching experience and I feel that that is actually a really important thing to talk about because it makes me think about individuals who go into the occupation of education, the occupation of teaching without any sort of real idea um, of how they want to participate in the educational world or within the educational sphere, within that system. And uh, it made me think of people that do this job just to get a paycheck or just to have a job because I feel like that might have been more my mentality at that time. And that speaks to the fact that I can't remember my first sort of time in the classroom as a teacher. And when you go into something like teaching, I, I firmly believe, in, and, and you can speak to this, Malcolm, but I firmly believe that it's not something that you can engage in passively and expect to do positive work. Yeah, no, yeah, definitely. I definitely agree. Um, and as you were as you were speaking about your experience of not remembering, like you know, exactly like your first you know teaching experience, um, I think it's so interesting because I think that is almost maybe like a common thing um, that I feel like teachers sometimes run into the problem of of like not remembering like certain moments of being a teacher, and like you said, yeah. not being actively engaged. Um, and I think that comes from like multiple things, you know, sometimes it's the excitement and the rush of it, you know what I mean? Because now you are, you know, a teacher standing in front of a, standing in front of a classroom um, when just, you know, a few years ago or a year ago, you were a student yourself, you know what I mean? So that's always like, I know that was one thing, like when I first started teaching, I was like, okay, wait a minute, like, one, I still am a student actually, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm, still going mm -hmm. to class and then, yeah, happen to, you know, be a teacher. Um, it's a little shook it. Exactly. Right? <laughs> exactly. You don't want to show it to the kids, so you gotta have to like keep your stuff up to date and you're like, you know, just go, 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 go. But by yeah, by the end of the day it's kinda just like I don't even know what happened. I just mm -hmm. got through it, you know, mm -hmm. I survived. Um, but I also think too for teachers and this is something like in my own practice that I, I've um been trying to be more intentional about, is documenting um my experiences as a teacher so whether it's like you know during lunch having a quick minute to just you know write a note real quick about how the morning went or you know how i'm feeling or something like that or like at the end of the day taking some time to rest and like really talk about you know my day as a teacher um because i think those experiences one for ourselves are so important but i think like when we talk about future generations and like you know bringing more people into the field especially as black men educators and everything like that like being able to share with them the the real time emotions and feelings oh, yeah. and experiences that we are going on, um, so I can definitely relate to you know not remembering because there's certain days that yeah the day would just go by and I'll be like well, I taught all day but I don't really know what, what, what happened. even happened yeah, yeah. I have no idea <laughs> what happened I just made I just know I got through the day <laughs> mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. I'm satisfied so no, that's that's real um, and. It just it made me it just it made me take a real hard look at what I then expect the role of teachers to be and how we as you know new educators can sort of engage in the art of education mm -hmm. in a more authentic way. Yeah. And it also just makes me think about, you know, what do I imagine then 
my classroom to sort of look like or how do I want my not just my classroom to look like but how do I want my role as teacher in the classroom to sort of feel like um, but that's we'll talk about that in a second I want to just give you yeah. space and time to talk about your experience in or your first sort of time in the classroom as mm-hmm. well because you know while I might not be able to remember some sort of some more concrete details I know it was not that long ago for you right that's yeah it was it um it was uh just last year no, two years ago now. Yeah. Uh, we're in 2019 now. Um, so 2017 is, is when I first stepped into the classroom as a teacher. But um, something that you, what I'm going to talk about in my story, correlates with something that you just said, like talking about your role as a teacher and how you want your classroom to operate. And we just talked about how like sometimes the day will go by and it seems like it's just moving so swiftly. Um, Wait, and I feel, I'm so sorry to interrupt you, Dot, but I feel like this is important to say. I'm 25. I've been out of college for about... Uh, two and a half three years mm-hmm. right so and when I was teaching that was about four or five years ago uh, when I very first had my first teaching experience and you know uh, it hasn't been that long that you've been out of college now, yeah right? um, well now I've been out of college for three years um, when I started teaching I was fresh out of college I literally just graduated um, like the month like two months before I, I stepped into the classroom um, and so, uh, one thing that I was going to say when we were talking about, you know, thinking about what we want our classroom to be like, and sometimes when I think about my classroom and when I'm observing, which is something that we're going to talk about during this episode too, as a mm-hmm. teaching assistant, um, it's the pace and speed of the classroom. Mm-hmm. Um, and one thing I've noticed that a lot of teachers are just so focused on keeping activity just going. That's it's why like, I, what content can I yeah, make sure I exactly. get to? Exactly, and it's yeah. just like going so fast paced from one activity to the another that yeah, you don't really have time to really you know process and digest like what you and your students are like actually doing. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So you're always you're constantly like either passing out papers or having them pull out different notebooks and workbooks and stuff like going that. Going different stations, mm-hmm. you know, signing on, logging off. Yeah, yeah, um, and so. Going back to my first teaching experience, um, I started working at a preschool, um, a private preschool, um, and it was interesting because um, my background, um, my own educational background, when I went, I went, I was lucky enough to be able to go to preschool, but I went to a Montessori preschool, um, and my mom was lucky enough to find a public one in um, in the Bay Area of California that I went to. Um, and it was a public Montessori preschool and she said she had heard it had good things about it so she had let me go, she sent me there um, and then from there I went into the public school pre, uh, public school system from kindergarten all the way up to um, high school um, I did have a stint at, um, at a magnet program in high school um, I got accepted to an IB program um, and I went my freshman year of high school. I hated it so much that I dropped out. Wow, I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah, I hated it so much that I um, I ended up dropping out um, and going back to my neighborhood high school just because I was like, I don't want to do this. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, yeah, I went to Howard University. Um, and so when I started working at the private preschool, it was under the philosophy of Reggio Emilia. Um, and that is an Italian, for those that don't know, it's an Italian educational philosophy um, that's pretty, that's kind of similar to Montessori. Um, and so when I, when I got hired there, it's pretty interesting because it did remind me 
of my own preschool experience of what I had, where it's it's very play based. Um, it's it's students student centered to where you know you're really you really spend a lot of time getting into what the students actually enjoy and then you build your curriculum and what you want to teach them off of that um, so it teaches them a lot of social social emotional content ways to control their feelings express themselves with the words um, gives them a lot of authority in the way that they handle themselves um, with you know the activities that they choose they want to play um, you know they clean up after themselves for nap time and lunch um, they really take care of the um, part of that philosophy too is that the environment is like the third teacher um, so they spend a lot of time outside they spend a lot of time having control over their own classroom of where they want to put stuff and everything like that a lot of art um, and the biggest thing too um, when I was referring to the pace what I was talking about is that it's big on observation and documentation so stepping into the classroom my first task they told me was to just sit and observe not to try to teach, not to try to, you know, take a kid and say, hey, let's do this and let me help you with this, but to just sit and naturally watch the kids do what they're naturally going to do. Um, and so I went up to a, a, a student of mine um, and she was playing Speed, um, which is a card game. And I had forgot how to play Speed. I knew what the game was, but I had forgot how to play. So I was just sitting there watching her play with, you know, her friends and after about like five minutes, you know, she asked me if I know how to play speed. And I was like, no. Um, and so she ended up taking the time saying, it's okay, I'll teach you how to play. Uh, she spent time teaching me how to play, shuffling the cards, dealing out the cards, giving me my cards and saying, okay, let's play. Um, and so, you know, of course, after a few rounds, you know, she wanted to go do something else. So she left and went to do something else. Um, but I remember that key moment of, you know, my first moment as a teacher, and I think the reason that I am able to kind of remember it um, is because I got to just sit and, you know, and be in that space, you know what I mean? Um, and realize I'm like, okay, wow, like, even though I am a teacher, I'm still a learner too, you know? We talk about educators being lifelong learners. Um, so I think that was a very unique experience, and I think that ties back into, you know, yeah, what you were saying about thinking about how you actually want your classroom to run and operate. Um, and yeah, one thing I was thinking about too is yeah, I don't want to get caught and just like everything just being on go. Like when I'm teaching, it's just always this, this, let's do this, let's do that. You know, I want to make sure that it's it's really thought out and I give the kids and myself time to like process what we're doing, time to enjoy each other's company, have conversations and actually like, you know, yeah, create those lasting memories. Malcolm, what that sounds like to me, you know, if I'm not someone that has heard about, you know, Reggio Emilio, right? Mm -hmm. I'm like, Reggie, what? Like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> sounds to me like you're just letting the kids play. Um, you're just letting them sort of, you know, how is that teaching? How is that giving them knowledge? You know, we're teachers and our job is to give knowledge mm -hmm. to our students. That's the our whole entire purpose. So what would be your response to someone that sort of looked at the role of teaching as that, right? That we're yeah. supposed to give knowledge to our students. Desp depositing then, knowledge. Yeah, in the and then also um, that would say that you need more structure than that, that there isn't enough structure to the learning for uh, legitimate learning to be happening. What, what, what might you say, based on that experience and yeah. the experience of being in that classroom, what might you say to someone like that? Um, well, one, I think it's important to, um, to note that it, it's in early childhood, educational um, 
a lot of people have different words for it. I call it a philosophy. Um, so it's for a, a, a time period of like, I know at the school that I taught, they they stay there from two to five years old. So from like two to five, then they go on to kindergarten. Uh, and I think during those times, right, where kids are still developing, you know, their motor skills, they're still developing, you know, how to talk, how to, you know, walk and everything like that. Um, so you're not really focused yet on too much content. So that's mm-hmm. kind of why it works for early childhood, where it's not really about filling them up with content. Um, and so you are teaching, though, because, for example, our class, they had a class name they were called the Rainbows. Um, and so the Rainbows, they all started showing an interest in cooking and, and liking mm-hmm. to cook. And so as the kids would play, like they would have blocks, they would build a market. Like they would build a market with the blocks have some like toy food, plastic food, baskets. And so they would spend about 20 to 30 minutes just building their market with the blocks, right? And then you would see them start putting on like aprons and getting ready. And then they would start coming around and telling the students and the teachers, our market is open, come to our market. And so you go to the market and they'd be like, what do you want? Get, what do you want? What groceries do you want? And so you would tell them, and they would look at it and they'd be like, well, we can make you something with these groceries too. Let's make you something. And you say, okay, cool. And they would prepare you something and they'd make it. You know, stuff they would eat at home, you know, waffles, spaghetti, you know what I mean? Muffins, whatever mm-hmm, they mm-hmm. they could creatively think about. Um, and so through that, um, you know, the teachers, they started to base what they wanted to teach the kids based off that. So they started teaching them about measurements they started teaching them about following instructions when it comes to a recipes how to do things in order and stuff like that uh being polite having a waiter and a manager at the store and stuff like that um switching roles you know teamwork cooperation well sometimes you can be the manager and sometimes you can be the waitress or the waiter um you know what i mean so like i said a lot of that social emotional stuff um but in the kids, you see it in learning. They're learning, yeah, like patience and, like I said, cooperation and responsibility, um, being able to manage their emotions when things don't get right, being able to creatively problem solve, you know what I mean? Uh, and so it, it got them all the way. That was kind of like their curriculum for the year was like cooking and a food-based thing. And through that, yeah, they were learning like different recipes. So they would have days where like like when um, on my leaving day, I had to leave um, on my going away day. Um, to start the Urban Teachers Program, the kids spent the week finding a spaghetti recipe to make me spaghetti. And so on the day that I left, the day that I left and I came, um, the way they said bye to me was they presented me with a real bowl of spaghetti that they had spent their time cooking. Um, And these are four and five-year-olds, you know what I mean, who who legit, you know, just made some good spaghetti, presented it in a bowl, and said, here are you. Um, and I could sit there, and as I'm eating it, I could ask them about the ingredients, and they say, yeah, we put some basil on top, and we made the sauce with tomatoes and onions, and we chopped them up. Um, <laughs> and so, like, you know, um, and the teachers had ordered them, you know, like, uh, kid size, like knives, and, and measuring things that they could use, and stirring things, and stuff like that. Um, so I would say that's where the teaching comes in. And like I said, it's not focused on just like, yeah, content and like geometry and algebra mm-hmm. and stuff like that, writing, you know what I mean? They learn that stuff, um, you know, throughout. Um, but most of it is, I would say, is the context of them growing to just be themselves and being able to, you know, work within themselves, work with groups, you know, and all that, you know, 
people stuff. Yeah, yeah, for sure. No, I should also say that uh, Malcolm definitely plans and likes the idea of working with younger kiddos. (laughs) Uh, I myself find myself gravitating towards uh, older elementary, third, fourth, fifth grade. I have had the opportunity to teach middle school and high school, both uh, well when I was working with middle schools, when I was teaching for Breakthrough, and when I was working with high school, it was when I was working with Kip Austin um, as a paraprofessional. And the, every, I, think, I feel like every school or every type of school has its own challenges. And um, yeah, I feel like I, I could just say that I definitely feel like the younger, older crowd yeah. is definitely like the fourth, fifth, nine, ten, eleven <laughs> years old. Uh, it's definitely more my crowd, uh, but Malcolm definitely found, finds himself gravitating towards yeah, the like right? The, yeah, I do. Um, and I think, but I always talk about how I think it, it needs to be a balance, right? And I think, like, ideally, in a perfect world, we would have, like, a school, and I'm sure the schools are like that, though, um, where, yeah, you need some people who, yeah, who genuinely want to be with the younger kids, so they're with mm-hmm. the younger kids, and you have those like you who want to be with the older kids, and you're able to, you know, pass them up, you know what I mean? And say, okay, like, now you guys are going to go be with, you know, Mr. Harvin Connor, um, you know, and then they spend that time. Because, um, like, sometimes in my school, what I've seen is, like, you know, teachers kind of get placed where they can fit in, yeah, you know what I mean? No, and you get tough. placed with a grade that just has an opening. And, you know, I've heard teachers say, well, I, I would rather be with these other kids and stuff like that. And I think part of being a role as a teacher is that, yeah, you have to know, what fits you where you want to be and you should be able to teach mm-hmm. you know those kids because i think that's what we talk about like being active on the job like that will make you more active on the job being with mm-hmm. the crowd of students that you mesh with better so uh when you were talking about this sort of i guess student observant teaching style mm-hmm. one where you take on a more I feel like passive role isn't the right word, right? Because you're still a yeah. very active participant in the classroom, but yeah. maybe you have sort of a softer touch in the way that you influence students and what they're learning, right? Yeah. But um, how do you sort of imagine this classroom or the ideas that you've seen in this classroom manifesting in schools where, you know, DCPS, charter schools, where yeah, that is not, I mean, that that is not going to be the case. <laughs> right. Like, you're not going to be able to necessarily have that philosophy play out in the way that you'd want it to in these sort of educational institutions because there are already sort of prescribed notions of, um, you know, teacher-to-student relationships, the role of teaching mm-hmm. that we have to navigate in um, because they're prescribed to us, Right. So how do you sort of imagine like bringing those practices into your classroom in an authentic way, right? Giving students authentic uh, connections and relationships to what they're learning about and also creating a classroom environment that supports student learning while recognizing that you are limited. Yeah. And that's just the, the reality that we live in and yeah. trying to be radical educators. Yeah. Um, and that's something I've been thinking about more. Too, especially like we talked about like yeah these classrooms that we're finding ourselves in in DCPS and the DC public charter schools they are very rigid and like structured um, um, but I was reading um, a book I just finished it's called for white folks who teach in the hood and the rest of y'all too yeah we, we um, had to read an excerpt yeah two from that and so I just John finally Hopkins, yeah. finished reading the whole book 
Um, and in there, it's a very powerful, one of my favorite chapters was called co-teaching. So he, um, the author, he prescribes a, a reality, reality pedagogy that he teaches and he breaks it down to like seven C's of like what, what cons that consists of. And one of them is co-teaching. Um, and this is, a, this is a practice that I, I'm very excited to implement in my classroom where, like similar to the philosophy of the Reggio Emilia, right? Where it, it's not passive, I would say it's more of like a partnership. Mm -hmm. um, you allow the student to be the expert at times when the teacher isn't. So for connecting the students and like, yeah, trying to teach them some content because we know like the curriculums aren't structured to really matter to the students. You know, it's really just to get the standards across and get them what America thinks they need. Um, you allow the student to become the expert and you work creatively and in a cooperation with the student and say, okay, with all your students, you say, okay, guys, this is what we have to learn about. These are the materials that the school has given us. This is our standards for this module. And then you guys together come up with the plan and lesson and literally create lesson plans together on the best way to teach the students. Um, and so he pushes for that. And part of what, one thing that I, um, I really enjoy and I, and I, is that he, he even mentions, he said that, you know, you can be you can either be a teacher who's going to follow the rules and stick to the system and continue to uphold the, the oppression and um, the transgressions that's going on, or you could be a teacher that's going to push the boundaries, that's going to break out of the box no matter how much resistance you face. Um, but essentially, that's the only way that change happens. You know what I mean? Um, and I think that is something that, you know, we'll have to keep in, in, in our minds, especially as, like I said, as black male educators is, yeah, teaching um, students of color, what do we want to do? Do we want to just continue to be part of the problem and just bow down and say, okay, look, this is, this is what it is. I have to work inside these standards. Or yeah, we're going to be more creative. And like I said, be able to reach out to your students and sit down with them and say, open up the curriculum book and say, look, this is what it is. This is what they want me to teach, teach y'all. We can get through all this content, but let's come up with ways that we can do this together. Um, and, I, and I'm very interested to do that because I think with kids, they'll immediately understand like, okay, wait, this is our classroom. It's mm -hmm. not just Mr. Malcolm's classroom. This is our classroom. This is our space. Yeah. And they'll start being able to say, well, you know, yeah, if I want, if you, if I want to learn about this, well, it makes me think about this. So maybe if we talked about this in this way, you know what I mean? And they'll say, well, we don't really like this, but we can maybe do it this way and come up with those real, real life connections for them that they're creating and then implementing those in the classroom. And they'll be able to say like, wow, like this is cool. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, and I think that's that sort of idea of getting students to feel invested in the, in their space mm -hmm. is so important. Right. I, think about all the time that so many of our kids are placed into spaces and institutions where they have zero say in how that space operates. Exactly. They have zero say in the, you know, whether it be the rules that apply to that space, what they're learning, when they're learning it, how fast they're learning it, right? These sort of things, I feel like we, uh, many times we give all of that power and all the authority to the teacher. Yeah. And... While I feel like there is something to be said about experience, right, and, and coming into play, there is 
a certain level of autonomy yeah that we need to instill in our students and in people and that needs to be present in the classroom as well it, mm-hmm. there needs to be some sort of sense that i i have the power and the the, the voice to be able to decide um you know how my body and how my mind are going to operate yeah exactly. and that goes in, in and outside the classroom, but it's so important in the, in the classroom because you have the power to structure that and to create that for yeah. them, mm-hmm. right? Out in the world, you know, you have to learn how to do it all for yourself, all on your own. But here, teachers have the unique role of being able to instill or being able to create that space for students to learn those tools to do that for themselves. Yeah, yeah, no, I agree. I agree. Now, we continue talking about just like student autonomy mm-hmm. um, and creating that in the classroom. We want that to be lo- sort of like a central pillar to um, the space. And I think that, like you said, it becomes our role as, I guess, radical educators mm-hmm. to try and manifest that to happen. And one of the things that I've sort of noticed through some experiences in this program that I already um, know that there are people who have started to sort of push those boundaries and are meeting resistance. Yeah. Uh, whether it be um, because of the host teacher that you're with, right? Because we are working alongside a teacher in a classroom right now yeah. mm-hmm. at whatever school we're at. Um, or whether it be because of our own program, right? There are sometimes just going to be moments where you attempt to create or manifest that sort of change in your classroom and the the powers that be shut, shut you down. Yeah, definitely. Um, and, I, and I just wonder, I feel like I can speak to some, I haven't had this personal experience yet in the classroom, right? But I wonder if you've had a personal experience yet where you've had uh, either an administrator or, you know, your host teacher um, you wanted to do something in the classroom that it, it wasn't necessarily coming to fruition um, the way that you wanted to. You tried to change something and you met that wall. And, and how do you react to that wall? Because I think, you know, the what comes to my mind is I feel that the immediate response is to is to back off. Yeah. And which is natural because we need jobs we need, yeah, right. <laughs> we need yeah, jobs exactly. we, need, we want to be able to keep our role and be able to find ourselves in those spaces where we can create the change that we want to see and but we there's also that sort of sense of purpose that sort of sense of ourselves that we want to make sure is authentic when we're bringing it to the classroom have, have you had to um have meet that challenge and if you haven't what do you imagine um someone should response should be when they start to meet that resistance um well i've had I have had like a few times where like my host teacher has like shut me down um, because, you know, she just doesn't agree with the way like I'm running the classroom, mm-hmm. um, whether it's like by providing the students with a range of choice of activities on how they want to learn and engage in the subject, you know, or I've had sometimes like I understand that kids are going to talk sometimes, so when they do their work, I allow them to talk and, you know, laugh or whatever, and then she shuts that down. Um, And I think, like you said, it is a delicate balance of, like, the position that we're in. And so times when that happens, I kind of 
I would just let it happen in the sense of like I think it's about picking and choosing your battles. Oh, 100%, um, 100%. And so sometimes I realize like okay, yeah, this may I may even though I'm working with her, um this is, you know, still a shared the, space. Yeah, their classroom. Um well, it's a shared space, but it's it's more along the lines this is still their classroom. Mm-hmm. Um and kind of just, you know, realizing like okay, I just got to let her do, you know, what what she's going to do. Um but then I think on the other end of that, it's like just taking notes, right? Of just like seeing, yeah, like, you know, teachers, some teachers are so stuck in their ways that, yeah, they're against this. They can't even fathom having students not on level zero, you mm-hmm. know what I mean? And just, you know, quietly talking to themselves, even if it starts to get a little loud. But if they're engaged in doing their work, then yeah. everything is fine. Um, so for me, it's more just taking mental notes about yeah what is wrong with the system and what you know i view differently and stuff like that so yeah when we do get into our own space we can say okay well this is my classroom now i've seen how that was ran i've seen how that operated i don't think it worked very well um now this is what i'm gonna do over here you know what i mean and there's a big difference between working at a school for a year and working at a school for six years yeah right? like, exactly. <laughs> like the 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 power that comes with just time I feel like it's also yeah. part of the equation mm-hmm. as well. Um, yeah, and I, th- I feel that, you know, for myself, when I try to uh, manifest um, any sort of, like, new or alternative sort of te- teaching idea or strategy, the, the one thing I have to sort of keep in my mind is that, not like that there's always sacrifice. Yeah. Right, but that the times that we choose to to take on that sacrifice have to be really have to be so purposeful. They have yeah, to be, definitely. Because um, there are only there are only so many chances. Yeah, <laughs> and there comes a lot from listening and buying your time and figuring out you know how can my knowledge be best exercised. Yeah, exactly. So exactly. yeah, I, I I I think what you're saying about you know just just taking notes, yeah. figuring out how do, how do I operate in this space and how can I continue to, to sort of alter the way it operates moving forward, mm-hmm. right? So, for sure. Um, well, I think that sort of brings us to the end of episode two of Talking to Myself. Uh, we are going to be getting out, be on the lookout for our Instagram, for our website. They should be coming out if they're not already out by the time this episode's out, they should be out um, fairly soon after that. Uh, Malcolm and I are already talking to getting some people on here that uh, have some really amazing insights into some of the teaching world that we're still learning yeah, about, definitely. right? Yeah, um, some roundtable discussions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know that there are, you know, we're, right now we're talking about trying to bring on some people that are actually starting their own school. And I know that that is a future endeavor that both Malcolm and I are hoping to try and attempt in the future. And um, yeah, I think when we think when we think of trying to manifest that change that we're talking about, talking to some seasoned veterans in the field on how they go about doing that, yeah. I, I feel like that is going to lead to some pretty eye-opening uh, revelations here. In, yeah, in definitely, to see yeah, definitely to speak to some, you know, radical educators who are, you know, actually doing it, you mm-hmm. know what I mean, how it's working for them. I think it would definitely be great to talk about, like, 
But that's one thing I, I think about all the time. It's like, okay, yeah, because we talked about, you know, like we said, you know, waiting and, you know, waiting and taking notes. But it, then it's like, yeah, when August comes, it's like, okay, so now what you could do. Yeah, yeah, for real, for real, for real. Yeah, so thank you so much for joining us here on episode two. And be on the lookout for, for episode three next week. Yes, sir.